0: Well, you know, we're continuing in our series, our sermon series, on uh, heroes from the Old Testament. And if you were, uh, if you were here last week, uh, Major Debbie spoke about, uh, about Rahab, the prostitute, and, uh, and how she saved the Israelite spies, and because of her faith, she and her family were saved, and how she was considered to be a hero of the faith. And this morning, we're going to look at another Old Testament character, and uh, he happened to be a king, a king. And we're going to take a real inside look at the king, at royalty. Kind of get an inside view of this particular person. But how many of you have been into the home of a king or a queen or royalty? Any of you have ever been to a home, a castle, or a uh, palace? You know, some of us were fortunate to go this summer to, uh, to Europe we went to London, but we also went to France. And just outside of Paris, there's a palace at Versailles. And you can see how ornate it was. All the gold fence and gates and uh, the bedrooms and everything else and the gardens. And it was the palace of Louis the Fourteenth. And he moved there from Paris, outside of the city, and that's where he set up his palace. And it was just an amazing, I mean, it's hard to describe, it's even hard to describe in pictures, but that place was huge. It was bigger than, um, bigger than Disneyland, actually. I know Rick and Lori were there with their children, and they had to rent a golf cart to get around the entire grounds, uh, because it was such a large place, but such an ornate place. But what King Louis Fourteenth did was that he opened his home, he opened his palace to the public, to the people, so they can come in pretty much any time of the day or night and just kind of watch and see what the royal family did if they were having dinner or breakfast or lunch, they have an audience. The people just watch watch them, see what they 're doing when they get ready for bed they 're watching them, so it's kind of kind of weird, but that 's what they wanted to do so A couple of weeks ago, some of us at the Croc Center we traveled all the way to Tennessee for a Croc Center conference and uh, we saw another palace there. It was really the mansion. It was Graceland. Have you ever been to Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee? Yeah, it was the mansion of, uh, of who? The king. Yeah, talking about the king, Elvis Presley. And there you can see uh, that was actually his living room. And it still looks like that today, like it was in the 70s. And you can see that old television in the back there. But that's the way it looked. Well, that was the king. Elvis Presley. So this morning, we're going to be talking about a different king. We're going to be talking about King David. And unlike Rahab last week, David is one of the most well-known characters in the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a, a warrior king. He's a shepherd king. He was a psalmist. He wrote many of the psalms and many of the songs in our Bible. Uh, he played a musical instrument like a harp. And uh, he sang, and he danced, and he did all kinds of things, and he was a king. But he was described, King David was described as a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. What is the most famous story? Can anybody tell me what is the most, anybody under 12? Can you tell me any story about David? Anybody? Anyone under 12? I think you're a little bit over 12. Yeah, Fred, is that your IQ or your shoe size? (laughs) Just kidding. David and Goliath, right? That's probably the most famous story about David. There are many stories about David, but today I'm going to, David and Goliath is sort of like a G-rated story. Today I'm going to tell it like an R-rated story, okay? It's in the Bible though, all right? And we believe in the entire Bible and the whole counsel of God. So we have to make sure we have to read and study and hear about some of those maybe difficult passages. So I've kind of given myself a challenge this morning. Why I selected this passage? Because it's a little bit difficult. And how do I explain it and how do I share the word of God through this passage? But it's found in Second Samuel, the book of Second Samuel in the Old Testament, starting with uh, chapter 11. Chapter 11. But other than the story of David and Goliath, this is one of the most familiar stories in this part of the Old Testament. And it's the story of David's disastrous affair with Bathsheba and the fallout and the ramification of his sin. We normally think of David and Goliath as the as story of the young boy who slew the giant. Well, a title for this week's sermon could be, The Giant Who Slew David. It's a little play on words there. The giant who slew David. So if you have your Bibles, we'll have it up on the screen as well. And what I'm going to do is, I'm going to read the chapter. But I want you to participate as well. And you'll have the, the verses up there. Now this story is pretty dramatic. And uh, I, so I want audience participation. So when you're reading a dramatic, dramatic story... If there's some character or some part of the scene that you want to cheer and yell, you can do that. I encourage you to do that. If there's like a villain or something bad that happens, you want to boo or hiss, you can do that as well. Or if there's a part where it's like, oh, you can do that as well. Okay, so the more audience participation, the better it will be. And hopefully you can uh, remember the story uh, because you've participated in the story. Okay, so here it goes. And I need you guys to really participate, okay? So here goes, verse 1. Sometime after this, wrong chapter. In the spring of the following year, (laughs) there you go. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. All right, come on. Get into it. Good job, Dan. They destroyed the Ammonite army. And laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. I thought David was a hero. Maybe not, maybe not. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed. The guy was sleeping in the middle of the day. And was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. You guys are great. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. It's in the Bible. Got to read what it says. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, Guess what, dude, I'm pregnant. Then the plot thickens here. Then David sent word to Joab, who was his army commander send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked, Hey, how's Joab and the army? How are they getting along? And how's the war progressing? Then he told Uriah, Go home and rest and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. Any comments on that one? But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, Hey, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, "The ark and the, the ark of the covenant and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my beautiful wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing." "Ah. Oh. Well, stay here today," David told him. And tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. And again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So the plot thickened. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. And he actually gave the letter to Uriah to deliver it. And the letter instructed Joab Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he'll be killed. Despicable, that's right. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy's soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Who said that? Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech, son of Gideon, killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? Then tell him, Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a, a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said, and as we chased them back to the city gates, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. David, with feigned concern, well, tell Job not to be too discouraged. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace. And she became one of his wives. Wow. Then she gave birth to a son. And here's the last part of the verse. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. What a story. Right from the word of God. What a horrific story. I don't think anyone could have thought or imagined that type of a story. Let's think about reality TV. This is more real than TV or the movies. But here is David. King David. David. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, David. The shepherd king, the shepherd warrior. The guy that wrote a bunch of psalms in the Old Testament. David, the musician. David, who was respected by his soldiers. His men would be willing to die for him. That David. David, the king. His people loved him so much. He was the beloved king. This David, King David, we see in this story does something atrocious. He commits adultery. And then he conspires a plot to murder his lover's husband in an attempt to cover his own sin. Think about it. A total misuse, a total abuse of power and authority that was given to him by God. He was the anointed one. He was anointed by God. And there's no excuse for what David did. So how can he be a hero? How can he be a hero? You know, this story that we see in in 2 Samuel chapter 11, this story is told with complete candor and complete honesty. And it doesn't gloss over anything. It just tells the truth. And sometimes that truth is very ugly. But it's the truth. But it brings to life David's humanness. His humanity in such a way that we can, we can relate to that. It helps us to better understand ourselves as we look at David this morning. Hopefully we can better under, understand ourselves and the things that makes, that makes us spiritually vulnerable. And it reminds us that in, in accomplishing his purposes, God always uses fallible and imperfect people. And it also should warn us it should also warn us against this sense of what I call entitlement, the sense of entitlement that we sometimes have, the sense that, that we are owed something because of who I am or because of my position or because of my, the status I have, that I'm owed something, I'm entitled to something. And we're all vulnerable to that. And then, of course, it reminds us, it reminds us loud and clear that no one... That no one, not even the king, not even God's anointed one, is above God's law. No one is above God's law. So let's look at that first verse. Chapter 11, verse 1. At the end of the verse, it says, So David remained in Jerusalem. It's an interesting thought. You know, up to this point, David had been valiantly fighting in the name of the Lord. But here we see him now at home, relaxing. In fact, in verse 2, it says that David had been resting. David remains in Jerusalem when he, he should have been leading his troops in battle. And if you think about that, that this really sets the stage for two battles. For two battles. While Joab and the army face the Ammonites, David remains in the palace. And he's about to face this giant a giant that he never thought he would encounter and he would be in for a fight and maybe this fight would be the toughest fight he's ever been in but it was a battle for his own life for his own soul and this was the giant that he was facing at the moment and it wasn't a giant that came from the Philistine side or from the Ammonite side it's a giant that came from within, from his own heart, from his own spirit. And so as we look in the palace, in this verse, we see a man who... We don't see the man that we think of when we think of David. We don't see him as the shepherd king, as the psalmist in the field tending, taking care of his sheep. But we begin to see a man who, who begins to rely on his own thoughts... He begins to rely on his own way and his own will instead of relying on the Spirit of God who came upon him when he was anointed king. He had lost that spirit. And God's child is now very self-assured. He's very self-confident. He's grown to be a very resourceful person. So he is very confident in his own self but not God-confident. And it's like he's saying, I've got it made now. So I can stay home and I can just send my servants out to do all the work and to do all the fighting and take care of all the battles. I'll just sit here and relax in my beautiful palace. Why, as I think about our lives as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we too can grieve the Holy Spirit when we do things our own way instead of depending upon the Lord. You know, we can look at David and we can, we can wonder, hey, what happened to that young David who once enjoyed spending quiet hours in the field singing to his God in a simpler time in his life when he tended sheep? What happened to that young man of faith who valiantly rose to fight Goliath because Goliath defied the name of the Lord? What happened to that king who fought the enemies of Israel in the name and in the strength of the Lord. You see, David David never made a conscious choice to stop listening to God. But I believe the move from the field, from the trenches into the palace had slowly changed him. And we're like that at times as well. Because you see, in tough times, We tend to walk hand in hand with God because we need Him. We depend on Him. But once we've established ourselves, once we've established our our career, or we've attained our goals, or our pockets are full of cash, or we've started to settle in, we tend sometimes to think less about God and about needing God. Because a lot of our needs are already being met. You see, we we trust more in ourselves, we trust more in our own power, we trust more in our own wealth, in our own resources, we trust more in our own genius and our experiences, and we trust more in our own reputation, and we become pretty self reliant. And as we see in David, we start to think that we too can do whatever we want. We become so self-sufficient that we forget God's commandment. And it seems like that we no longer need God in our life. Thanks God, but no thanks. I've got it all. I can take care of it. I can handle it. But we need to be, we need to be wary. You see, when all is well in your life... When things are all clicking, when all cylinders are clicking and things are just running smoothly, just like you planned, when everything's going well, we need to be aware and beware of temptation. Of temptation. David is at the highest of success by worldly measures, he's got it all. He's enjoying all the fruit of his labor for those many years, he's reached the pinnacle. And yet one evening, verse 2 says, David got up from his bed. He walks out on his patio, and he looks over his city. And what does he see? His eye catches a beautiful woman taking a bath. And I'm sure he locked his eyes on her for a long time. I'm going to talk to my guy friends here. When you unexpectedly see a beautiful woman, be honest, what do you do? Look to see if your wife is watching you? That's the way men are, you know. What do you expect David to have done? He wasn't out looking for her. She just happened to be there. But I'm sure he looked, locked his eyes on her for a long time. It was interesting. I was going to put a picture up of a beautiful woman up there, but... I thought that would be too distracting for you guys. But he locked his eyes on her, and his brain started going, and I'm sure other things started going in his body as well. And that's when David's bad choices began to compound. And I can only wonder what would have happened had David done as Job did. Job is another hero of the Old Testament. Now, I don't know if any of you knew this, but this is, this is found in Job chapter 31, verse 1. And Job says this. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Wow. I challenge you guys to take that on as a verse to memorize, to put into practice to get it cemented into your mind. I need to take that challenge as well. But David, David is the king, and he decides that as the king, he can have whatever his eyes see and whatever his heart desires. It doesn't really matter who the beautiful woman is. He can take her. He can have her. He's the king. I'm the king. He sees her. He has lust in his eyes. That lust takes over. That lust turns into sin. He sends for her, we know the story, and they sleep together. Whether Bathsheba resisted at all isn't clear, but either way, what David did was wrong. He takes another man's wife for a one-night stand. And when he is done, he basically disposes of her. It's a cheap act for any man, but especially for an anointed man of God. Motivated motivated by nothing but lust, he forgets to ask God. He even forgets to ask himself. And he's the king. And he even forgets to ask his trusted advisors whether his proposed plan is right or wrong. Isn't that what a king is supposed to do? Particularly a king of God. Before you have plans, you consult with your advisors. You consult with people you trust. You consult with the Lord. You even consult with yourself and ask the question. But he didn't do that. Instead, everything he wants, he takes because he can. He has the power. But let this be a warning for all of us today. You know, David was not what we might call a weak or a new Christian. Think about that. David was not what we might call a weak or a new Christian. He walked with God daily from the time he was a child. He knew God. He loved the Lord dearly. He wrote many, many psalms. He wrote many psalms of worship to the Lord. He was not a brand new Christian, he had much experience with the Lord. And so you see, temptation doesn't stop when you get older. Temptation doesn't stop when you become more mature in the faith, when you get more involved in the church. When you get older, temptation doesn't stop. It never stops. And that's a lesson we all need to learn. David's life teaches us the same lesson God told Cain. Cain and Abel, he told Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you, you must master it. So we say we might have the world by the tail as we say we can have a great job, we can have a wonderful family, a nice bank account, We can even have a great ministry in the church and and blessings galore. And all these things in themselves are good, but sin is always crouching at the door. And it seems that the more power, the more money, the more influence we have, the more we must guard against the temptation to think that we can do as we please. We must all guard against self-reliance and pride. So rather than guarding what is entrusted to him, David, David lusts after that which is not his. He takes Uriah's wife for himself, and from there things just get messier. And we call it what it is. We don't hear this word very often. It's sin. It's separation from God. It's falling short of the mark of what God had for David. And sin, regardless of the form can be devastating if it's not dealt with in God's way. And David tried to deal with his sin in many different ways. He tried to hide it. He tried to cover it up. But those things never worked. And eventually, our sins will find us out. And it would be nice if we could blame Satan for it. But sin is our choice. And that's why we must also choose how to deal with it. There's a lot more to this story that goes on into the next chapter, but we don't have time for that. And so as we close this morning, I look at the last verse in chapter 11, and it ends with these very sad words. And it kind of recaps everything that took place in that chapter. And it says, But the things David had done displeased the Lord. If you're a person after God's heart, the one thing you want to do is to please the Lord. And yet David, by his actions and by his attitude, all that he had done in this chapter displeased the Lord. You see, the giants the giants that David faced in his own heart, the sin of lust, the sin of arrogance, the sin of greed, the sin of pride... They were more powerful than any Goliath he had faced on the battlefield. And as we think about David's giants, we need to think of our own giants. What are some of the giants that you are facing today? Not those things which attack us from the outside. That's what we normally think of. You know, sickness, illness, financial problems. Those are all things that attack us from the inside. But what about the things from the inside that come from within our own heart? within our own soul. Those things which attack our hearts, which attack our motives, which attack our intentions. Is it guilt? Is it anger? Is it greed? Is it jealousy? Is it stubbornness? Is it arrogance? Is it pride? Any of those things that would rob us of our joy in the Lord. And so you may ask me, Major, why would you consider David to be a hero after hearing this story? Well, that's not the end of the story. You see, the story continues on in chapter 12, and the prophet Nathan, who is really a hero himself, exposes David's sin. And David, what does he do? Does he cover it up? Does he try to avoid it? The word says he quickly confesses his sin. It says in verse 13 of 2 Samuel 12, Then David said to Nathan after he had been confronted, He says, I have sinned against the Lord. I admit it. I confess. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. There's only one way to deal with sin. There's only one way to deal with it, and to put it away, and that's to confess. That means to agree with God, to acknowledge with God, to admit to God that what I've done is wrong, and we don't need to be afraid of punishment. God's Word tells us in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. But He wants us to get rid of that sin and the only way to get rid of it is to bring it to Him. And He'll cover it with the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ's blood, who died on the cross for your sin for my sin and that's the way to deal with sin David found out that covering up doesn't work even though shame and pride may lead us to try that route time and again sin needs to be confessed to the Lord and you know it if you have unconfessed sin in your life if you have this guilty conscience weighing over you you know it and God knows it So the bottom line is, it's a relationship between you and God. David, a man after God's own heart, had stepped away from God and was far away from him. And he didn't even understand. He didn't even see that. He was blind to that. And thank God for Nathan who came and said, David, I love you, but I've got to tell you the truth. The reason why David is a hero Because he had a broken heart. He understood what he did wrong. And all of us have that opportunity to be a hero. When we agree with God and confess our sin. A broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. Psalm 51. David wrote that psalm. If you have an opportunity, read that psalm today. He wrote that psalm after Nathan confronted him and he pours out his heart don't take your Holy Spirit away from me Lord restore unto me the joy of your salvation, create in me a clean heart and a new heart oh God, renew a right spirit within me he just poured out his heart to God and God responded that's why he's a hero, not because he was perfect he made mistakes, he had failures, just like every one of us We fail, but we can be a hero by just coming to God, confessing our sin, receiving and accepting his forgiveness.